0: My name is Dan Mike, and I'm here to uh, invite you to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is revealed to us in the scriptures. My hope as we study the Bible together is that your relationship with Christ will be strengthened, your faith would be strengthened, so that you can go and be an ambassador to Christ in this uh, troublesome time that we live in. As a community at Crossroads, we have been studying the gospel of John, I think since like February now, so um, we're about halfway through, and so please turn to John chapter 10, if you have a Bible. If not, there's some Bibles laying on a table back here, and if you don't have a Bible and you want one, that's my gift to you. And uh, chapter 10, the word that's on my heart this, mo- this morning to um, just flavor this message would be the word dedication or Rededication. And the reason for that is that just in the center of this chapter is a festival, a holiday that John wants to put on our radar, which is called in this chapter, the Feast of Dedication. Why does he want us to be thinking about that? You know, and so all week I've been just thinking about this Feast of Dedication. In in modern times, we, we might know of this feast, we call it Hanukkah. The reason for this feast, even though it's not in Leviticus 23, is because it commemorates an event that happened only 160 years or so before Jesus was born. You see what happened was, Israel was in a time uh, where they were being dominated by a megalomaniac named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He had changed the, uh, the way that they were able to worship um, because he had a desire to Hellenize uh, Palestine. He wanted the people who were living in Israel to act like Greeks. And so what did he do? Well, when you Hellenize, you're trying to uh, desensitize this group of people from their identity, from their core identity and the things that they stand for and value the most. So he attacked their worship. This was the closest thing to their identity. Uh, and This is something that they could do all over the world in a sense, but mainly that they could do in their land. So he takes over the temple. He goes into the temple and sets up a shrine to Zeus. He declares himself God and and, and mandates pigs be sacrificed on the altar. As you can imagine, this would have been shocking. This would have been offensive. This would have been something completely uh, disruptive to their worldview and their way of life. Normally what would happen now is that this, uh, the group of people you're trying to desensitize and uh, change would say, wow, this is really abrupt and shocking, but there's nothing I can do about it, and so I'm just going to syncretize. I'm going I'm to uh, just go with the flow, and I'm just going to... And eventually, within a generation or so, they start to forget about their identity and who they were. This had the opposite effect for Antiochus, because... So many people in Israel decided to stand up against this and would rather die than to go along with the sacrifice of the swine on the altar to the Lord. And so after a few years this whole group of people arose and led a revolt. They took over Jerusalem, they fought and won, then they got then autonomy in a sense, to be able to reset up their temple, to rededicate it to the Lord, to cleanse it, and then move forward as uh, in affirming their identity as Yahweh worshipers. So, this created an era that was so um, encouraging and inspiring that they continued to celebrate this every uh, late November, early December. Every winter, they, they would celebrate the, and, and relight these candles. Uh, that we call a menorah, to remember this uh, heroic act of um, rededication. And as I've been thinking about this, yeah, we don't have a temple. We don't worship at a temple. we, We kind of have, as a group, a temple. And I just wanted to invite you to maybe rededicate. I've had a lot of conversations in the past weeks and months of people who have admitted to me uh, begrudgedly that they have actually, over this troublesome year and over this time that we've been living in, that they have um, forgotten their first love, that they have laid down their commitment to emulate and to, uh, and to follow Christ. Because of all kinds of different pressures and all kinds of different things, I know that this, this world is a complicated world that we're living in. And I understand that, uh, that we're not perfect. But if you're looking back on your year and you're looking back on this summer and this season, you're saying, I have started to act like somebody that is opposed to Christ. I have started to act like somebody that's not aligned with Christ. Then you know what I'm talking about. And maybe today is a day where you start to reevaluate and think, I might need to rededicate we have had it in our hearts for some time now because of um, how uh, weird this year has been. We haven't really been able to do much with baptism. And so we've had it in our hearts to do baptism at the end of this month, the weekend of Thanksgiving. And I've got a feeling that some of us might need to really consider getting rebaptized. I was baptized as a child and I was baptized as an adult. That's okay. We could, because we believe at crossroads, when you're baptized, it's an, outer, um, it's an outer act of an inner reality. That at the baptism, we are actually, I think Paul said it best when he said, when you go down in the water, you are buried with Christ in baptism. And you're remembering while you're the death that, that Jesus died and the burial. Then you're claiming that for yourself. But then when you're brought out of the water, you are raised to walk in newness of life. And in this newness of life, we put on a new humanity. We acknowledge that in that water, we shed, we shed all of the things that we once considered gain, and we now consider them a loss. In that water, we say, yes, I was crucified to this world, and this world is crucified to me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I lived in the flesh, I live in faith in Christ. This is our new reality. The implication here being some of the ideologies and some of the things that we believe and hold to and cling to, some of our desire for power, some of the things that our world desires for power, we actually claim that I don't play by those rules. And some of us, I think, might need to actually reaffirm our dedication to the kingdom of heaven. Am I the only person that wants to see some of this happen? If you wanna see some baptisms happen this month, Let's clap for those people right now. And if you're on the fence, listen to your church. We want to celebrate with you, and we want to see you make that commitment to the kingdom of heaven. Maybe some parents in the room have never made a public profession in front of their children, and your children might need to see you say, this is who I am, this is what I believe in. Maybe there are some people in here who, as an adult, your friends in your circle, they've seen a totally different person, and you want to say, no, actually, this is my fundamental reality, crucified with Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life. And maybe it's time for you to rededicate. Make a public profession. I know we're making a lot of public professions these days. I mean, how many people know what sports team you're loyal to? How many people in your life know what political party you're loyal to? How quick are we to affirm these things that we technically have died to, and how quick are you to affirm? I mean, maybe we need to reevaluate. What is the thing that I want to be known by and associated with the most? Something to think about as we read this chapter today, and so I'm going to read the full chapter, so please gear up and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 10. Very truly, I say unto you, Pharisee, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters in by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes in on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this as a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was saying to them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, The sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters in through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and life to the full. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not a shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, and the man runs away, because what does he care? He's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also. They, too, will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason the Father loves me is that I lay my life down for the sheep, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This is the command I've received from my father. Jews who heard this were divided. Many of them said, demon-possessed man is crazy. Why why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a demon-possessed man. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colony. And the Jews were gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did. I did tell you, but you did not believe. And the works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe them because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one will snatch them from my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you because of a good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your Torah, in in your law, I have said, you are gods? If he called them gods in the Psalms, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one to whom the Father set apart at his very own and sent into the world? Why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the work of the Father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe, believe the works, that you might know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. He went out back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptized in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him and said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many people believed in Jesus. Amen. Apparently some churches don't read the Bible together. Somebody came up to me one time and they were like, I love going to cross, just read the Bible. It's a good use of time, in my opinion, okay? So the rest of my time will be my words, but those are the main, the main event. Throughout our study of John, we've been uh, remembering this phrase that's going to come up in chapter 19 where... Um, Pilate says, Behold the man, ecce homo. Behold the man. It's something that we have been just sort of had in the back of our minds as we've been studying this book. Behold the man. We're to set Jesus out in front of uh, this community and say, look at him. Who is he? Is he inspiring? Is he challenging? Is he changing us? We're not the only people that have been looking at him he's been looked at very closely by this group of people called the Pharisees. They've been challenging him every step of the way. And in recent times, he's been living in Jerusalem or staying in Jerusalem for the past at least month or two. And he's been in the middle of a controversy. You might remember what the controversy is. There was a guy who was born blind. He's born disabled. And the his interaction with Jesus was miraculous because Jesus came to him and gave him sight, gave him the ability to see for the first time in his life. This caused quite a drama, not because uh, a miracle happened, but for two reasons. Number one, they uh, believe that people born with disabilities were born like that because of some sin or something that their family uh, had committed, some sort of like cosmic karma thing or whatever. And then You have um, the fact that Jesus healed him on a day. We're not supposed to be doing stuff like that, according to uh, their belief. The Sabbath. So, Jesus sinned, in their view, by doing this work. And this man was also because of sin in this way in the first place. And so, by their math, one plus one, I mean, one sin plus another sin, how how could that make a right? How, How could this be a good thing? And so this has to be a bad thing, and and so they're just wrestling with this, going back and forth, and they try to communicate this guy. His family is getting involved. It's kind of dramatic, and they're arguing. And at the end of this argument in chapter nine, Jesus says these words: "For judgment, I have come into this world, so that those who can who are blind may be given sight, and those who can see will be blind." And then the Pharisees respond to him and say: "So which are we? Are we blind?" Or can we see? Which which is it? And so to answer that question, Jesus gives him a figure of speech and he says, There's a shepherd, there's a gate, there's sheep, and there's people who come in through some other way. And he says that to me, is like, right? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And then John gives us the answer in verse six, they have no idea what he's talking about, they're blind. And then Jesus proceeds with the rest of the chapter. I'd like to point out here at this moment the tenor of the rest of the chapter. Yeah, okay, they do try and stone him. They do try and arrest him. They are, there is some contention with some of them at the end of this. But notice how Jesus is acting throughout this whole conversation. There is no, cursed be the Pharisee. There is no, woe to you Pharisee. We don't see him saying like he did in chapter eight, I know who your father is. Your father is the father of lies, the devil. I mean, this is actually the opposite. Throughout this conversation, Jesus is pleading with them. He's trying to win them over. He does win a lot of them over at the end. He's trying to say, hey, this is who I am. I'm going to speak very clearly for you. No more figures of speech. I'm just going to say what I'm thinking, and I want you to interact with that and reason with that and believe that I am who I say I am, even if you're getting hung up on my words. Look at what I'm doing. He wants to win them over. I want to win you over, too, if I do my job right. And so... What question comes to mind for me as I'm looking at that, in light of that, I'm starting to think, okay, so why would he say the things he said and what about them would be um, enticing to a Pharisee? Why, why would he say, I'm the gate? And what about that statement would be attractive to them? This is what he, he could have said anything he wanted. This is what he said. And that's the question that I want to wrestle with at first. What does this mean, I'm the gate, especially to these guys? Okay, so let's think about the Pharisees for a minute. Can anybody shout out something about a Pharisee that you know or just generally speaking? What? They're devout. Okay, they're very purposeful and intentional. Some might even say legalistic a little bit. I mean, they've got some some rules that they're trying to follow here. What does Jesus say about them in that regard? One of the things in Matthew, he says, you know what, what they say isn't so bad. But they don't even do what they say. <laughs> they, they tie up these huge burdens and they place them on the backs of people and they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. What else does he, what do they say about the Pharisees? Um, they seem to be a, uh, a, a very... Petty group of people, I mean, if that's the word for it, every single thing, every little thing becomes a big deal. It's an explosion. Jesus says one th- becomes, explodes into a big thing. He does one thing that just seems to be a good thing and then it turns into a negative thing. It's all over the news. They're quick to speak condemnation. It, it seems like they're quick to judge. I know we got to revisit this because there's really no way for us to connect with these people. There's nobody in our world right now that acts like this. It's it's just this ancient way of life where you just have opinions and and you have all kinds of things that you're just holding, and you don't even hold yourself to the same standard and, and, and there's contradictions everywhere and everything becomes a big drama. To follow this other way, Jesus says it's kind of like following a thief. He chooses words carefully here, I think, um, because it, it, it is a way of life that robs us. There's some other way that they seem to be stuck in that I'm, that I'm saying that they're dealing with right now is a way that robs them. It robs them. Their devoutness is being robbed of all joy. Their are uh, ideas of how to, to look at things carefully is being robbed of all passion and love and mercy. They're being robbed of everything that is good. Since so the thief comes in to steal, to kill, and destroy. It's stealing from them. Has it been a while since you felt like yourself, that in, in the way that you live your life and live out uh, your faith, that it's uh, been robbed of all the joy that you once had? You might say, we don't kill. Okay, we kill. There's killing all over the news. There's killing all over the world, right? I don't even need to comment on that. And I hope that none of us ever get involved in that kind of violence. But guess what? We have social killing as well. We don't call it killing. We call it canceling. We have social assassination of character, of reputation, of career that, that is affirmed and celebrated in our culture right now. It's the way of the thief. It corrals people together in some other way, and not the right way. Destruction. Yeah, we, we do see a lot of like literal destruction right now. Celebrated, and, and people are, are wanting to. But we also have social destruction that happens. I myself have clicked on videos on YouTube that say this: so and so destroys so and so. Anybody seen this? Okay, it's, it's I'm not trying to be like nitpicky with language. But I started to realize this language is implying something. It is celebrating something. And do I want to be a part of a celebration of destruction? This is some other way. It's gathering people into the sheep pen in a way that is not done uh, in the way of the kingdom of God. If you're feeling like exhausted by this or feeling tired or feeling like this is something that that you don't want to live like anymore, well then listen to Jesus today when he says, let me be the gate. Let me be the one who is the judge. Let me be the one who is saying who's in and who's out. Psychologist Richard Beck, uh, author of books like Unclean or Stranger God. In Stranger God, he has a quote that I'll never forget. He says, often humanity ends at the border of your tribe. We set up gates. We set up walls. And we say, they're out and I'm in. And I've got that gate locked up so tight. But listen to the voice of Jesus today who says, you know what? There are sheep that are not of this fold. And what if I do want to open up the door and say, why don't some of us go out there and tell them? There's room in here. There's room in this, in, this, in this pen for all kinds of sheep to come and to thrive, and it's not going to be one where there's a limited amount of resource. Actually, there's going to be life in here, and that life is going to be in abundance. That life is going to be overflowing. In here, we have life to the full. We have life to spare in this flock. What am I saying? I'm saying maybe some of us need to evaluate our gates. Maybe some of us need to rededicate our gates and need to say the gate that I care about is Jesus Christ. The gate that I care about is the one who said the only judgment you need to worry about when it comes to other people is it is finished. He is our gate. And if you're feeling right now like you have been uh, hanging on to the gavel and hanging on to that robe, Your Honor, then... Maybe it's time to retire being the judge and let the judge of the living and the dead be the judge and to give him back the throne of our lives and to say, you tell me. You tell me who you want me to go talk to. You tell me who's in and who's out. You be the one who is the gate and the barrier, and I'm going to be the one who just is living in the life that you want me to live in where I can have life and life to the full. Maybe it's time to rededicate a little bit. Evaluate where you're at with some of this. I am the gate. I feel like the gate's kind of an underrated part of this chapter, okay? Because of the shepherd thing. We love the shepherd thing, right? What is the next thing he says? I am the shepherd. We like the shepherd. You know, I think we can picture it all in our minds. You have this, like, Jesus character with the blue sash and the, um, the lamb, okay? And he's, like, combing the hair. Uh, or pet, he's petting the wool of the lamb, and it's so beautiful. Maybe he's even carrying it on his shoulders, okay? I'm not even gonna comment on that, because somebody told me, the, the shepherd only carries it on his shoulders because he broke the leg of the lamb because it was w- wayward. <laughs> uh, but it, whatever, okay, so it's, it looks good, though, when he's carrying it on his shoulders. Uh, you know. But I'm afraid that this precious moments, Thomas Kincaid version of Jesus, though, it for a lot of us, it fits a lot better if it just stays in the children's wing. Let's put it on a classroom wall, uh, paint it down there. Because what happens is, uh, you know, the idea of Jesus being our leader is great when you're a kid. The idea of him being the shepherd, the one who's in charge of our lives and telling us where to go and leading us, is kind of an image. I mean, I'm an adult. I'm not gonna. He's not gonna tell me what I'm gonna. You know, I like the fact to say I will say he's shepherd-like. I like that he has a shepherd heart, but it's not. He's not like he's my leader. Not when it comes to my finances. Not when it comes to how I talk to people about controversial things. Not when it comes to uh, how I use my sexuality. Not when it comes to my values and my and my comforts in life. No, no, no. I am the leader. Is the Lord your shepherd? Will you let him lead your family? I'd like to explore this idea a little bit farther with you um, by dealing with a nuance that I think we miss here, okay? Uh, as this is, like I said, right in the middle of this is Hanukkah. We can't talk about Hanukkah without talking about leadership. Can't talk about Hanukkah without mentioning the Hasmoneans and how uh, they had this great act of uh, of freedom, but then there never really was like God's end of it, which was give us a king and somebody that uh, is going to be our our, ki- our Messiah, right? I mean, they did their best. Then came the, the Herodian dynasty, Herod the Great and his kids, and they didn't, there's a lot of controversy about these guys. I mean, are they even Jewish? Are they like, is, is anybody else seeing this? I mean, then it, does he really care about us? Why are they so excited to, see, to ask the question that they asked Jesus? What do they say to him? Are you the Messiah? Come on, tell us plainly. And what does he say? I did. When? I wonder if he's referencing the fact that he just said, I'm the good shepherd. Because if you think about it in the context of the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, the number one metaphor for a king is what? The number one thing they're looking for when they're looking for the Messiah is a king who is like David. And and when we reference David as the king, we reference the shepherd king. Shepherd, it's not even just in ancient Israel. It's in all ancient Middle East. The shepherd of a nation is the king. You can't separate these two things in their world. You can't say, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd and not say he is my leader. He is my king. I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier for us to say um, what they said in verse 20, I think it was. Remember what they said? Uh, This guy's crazy. (laughs) A demon-possessed man who is insane. He's crazy, okay? Uh, I'm not gonna listen to this guy's leadership. Uh, Maybe we should go. Did you hear what he said? Seven times 70? I am supposed to forgive someone seven times 70? (laughs) It's crazy. This is America, three strikes and you're out. That, 490 strikes. Okay. Uh, Jesus, what are you talking about? Am I supposed to love my enemy? No, no, no. Did you hear what they said about me? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me, or shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's how we we do things here. Uh, I'm not going to forgive and love. I'm not going to give light and water uh, like to the righteous and the unrighteous alike. I'm not gonna give my, my shirt and my cloak. That's just not practical. It's not efficient. He didn't ask for my shirt, he just asked for my cloak, Jesus. He's crazy. He's not efficient. He is not somebody that's gonna look like every other leader in the world. Matter of fact, I feel like he is challenging their leadership. What does he say? There's a hired hand. I wonder if you might as well have just come out and said it. You guys have a hired hand leading this country. He is somebody who, uh, when, the sh- when the wolf comes, is somebody that will flee. I'll never forget a friend of mine, Vernon Alexander, showed me on a map. He was a professor at a, at a school I was at. He showed me on a map um, the great achievements of Herod the Great's palaces, um, his big Uh, Cities that he built, and it kind of looks kind of funny when you look at it. He's got this really nice one right on the coast facing Rome, Caesarea. And then he uh, focused on Jerusalem. Okay, so we're going inland. He focused on Jerusalem, it's big, we have the temple, it's awesome. And then he goes and makes this place called the Herodian in Bethlehem. Starting to scoot a little bit more that way. And then he has another place in Masada, uh, right on the coast of the Dead Sea. Another place in Jordan, right across the Dead Sea. And you know where he's from? He's from just south of there. And you can look at it and think, when they get attacked, when the wolf comes, this guy could actually, just in the most comfortable way, just go from one palace to another palace, all the way out of harm's way. This is not the shepherd that you want leading you. The type of person when the wolf comes, he flees. He doesn't care about the sheep. You want a shepherd who cares about the sheep. You want a shepherd with courage, who's somebody who is able to take responsibility. Somebody who would lay his life down for a sheep when they go astray, when each of them turn their own way, when when they do they rebel and they do what they should. You want somebody who will lay their life down. That's who I am. Somebody who will lay my life down for the sheep, not just willing to, but for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, setting us. Free his sheep because he loves us so much. Is this your shepherd? Do you have confidence in this shepherd? Are you proud of this shepherd? Is this somebody you would follow? There's a lot of people in our world who are afraid to follow because they don't have confidence in leadership. They don't have confidence in uh, the person they've given their uh, life to or the ideology they've given their life to because there is a fear that actually that thing or person. Or system doesn't care about me. If you're afraid right now or feel like you've just been given you're listening to the voice of chaos or listening to a voice that's been giving you fear and worry and anxiety, well, I'd like to just remind you that um, you might even be sitting here saying that I'm actually, I've been living this way so long I just can't even see it anymore. Jesus is talking to people who can't see. And the good thing about what he says is you don't need to see. You just need to listen to the sound of my voice. If you feel blind right now and feel like you've just been uh, putting so many things that you you can't even see, listen to his voice. Maybe you need to get back into the Word of God. Maybe you need to put up a ratio and a boundary in your life and say, you know what, I'm going to do like one to one even, and just say for every five minutes of the news, I'm going to put five minutes of. Matthew 5-7 through in my life. For every one hour of podcast, I'm going to put one hour into the voice of my shepherd so that I can know his voice, so that I can tell where he's leading me, and so I can have confidence in who he wants me to be. I guarantee you will. Hide his word in your heart. Let him follow you, and let him lead your family, even right now. What did he say in verse 27, 28, and 29? For those of you who just want to hear his voice, hear him say, My sheep hear my voice. I give them eternal life. They will not perish. I've got you in my hand. The Father who is greater than all, who is greater than all, who is greater than all has us in his hand. No virus, no election decision, no ideology. Nothing is going to take you from my hand. I've got you. Neither life nor death, neither angel nor demon, neither past nor present. I've got you. Nothing's gonna separate you from the love of your shepherd. Maybe today's a day where you rededicate your life to the shepherd. Maybe you need to just say it right now. The Lord is my shepherd. And we look to him to be our leader and to be our shepherd. His rod and his staff will comfort you. He will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. It's going to happen this Thanksgiving. He will, because uh, your family, I know sometimes families are like that, okay? <laughs> he will. He will anoint your head with oil. He will fill up your cup till it runneth over. He will surround you with goodness and mercy, and He will give you a place to dwell in His house forevermore. This is your shepherd. You got our priorities right. He is somebody you can have confidence in and somebody you can follow. Amen? This is where things kind of get weird in the story. At verse 30, when he says, this big, this is what you should have confidence in, I and the Father are one. He's trying to give them the most clear and stable ground to stand on. Because if he is God, if he is God and his, his Father is greater, this is something that we should be able to stand on and say, okay, then Whom shall I fear? And it's just too much for some of them. At that moment, they pick up stones, and they're like, this is so offensive that you would say this. This is so offensive that you would threaten the thing that I'm believing in. I want to uh, rid you from this plan. Have you ever heard the quote, um, war is the end of conflict? Or, yeah, war is the absence of conflict. It's like you you can't wrestle anymore. I have to exterminate you from this place, okay? Uh, this, is, this is what they're doing with Jesus, and he reasons with them. And basically, to, to reaffirm Jesus is God, that he is God, he says to them, then just look at the fruit of what I'm doing. Now, this is a notable argument because so far in the Gospel of John, this has kind of been a no-no. We've seen uh, people say... I I saw the wine, and I'm into it. And and the critique is, okay, you just saw the wine. You're not really into him. Or or the people who are there in Cana, and they're like, we just want to see a show, or give us a sign, or you're just here because you got the bread. And it's like this has been a critique all the way up until now, and then all of a sudden, Jesus says, you know what, there is a time and a place to be able to just say, what is the fruit? What's the fruit of what you're seeing here? Is it divine or is it not? I think this is a very important question for us to ask and evaluate with some of the things that we allow to lead us. Some of the things that we're putting into our minds and hearts, allowing us to, that are leading us along, and ask it what is the fruit? Do you see the work of, of the Father in that? Is the divine hand of God just inside of the thing that we are devoting ourselves to or devoting our minds and attention to? And if not, maybe we should call a spade a spade. I think Jesus is up for the challenge. And I would never bet on his behalf unless I saw him do it himself. And what does he say? He says, if you, if you think the words that I'm saying are bogus, then just look at the works and let them speak for themselves. So what would that look like right now today? Well, let me ask you this. Will you give Jesus a chance to to work in your life? And will you then be able to evaluate the fruit? Maybe you can look back on a time of your life where you did actually give Jesus the uh, authority to tell you what you're gonna do. And and then you can say, yeah, was it good or was it bad? Did I feel the work of God in my life or not? But I will tell you this, this week you will have an opportunity to judge and you will have an opportunity to forgive. You will have an opportunity to condemn and you will have an opportunity to show grace. You will have an opportunity to show mercy and be a peacemaker, or you will have an opportunity uh, to be an agent of chaos. And if you choose to follow Christ in this world and you say, I am going to uh, show love, I am going to show peace, I am going to show grace, I want to know, will there be fruit in that decision of the divine in your life? Will there be the fruit of God working in your life when you choose to pick up your cross and follow him? I think there will be. And I think that this is going to be a challenge and a test for some of us to start to to walk out our rededication. And so challenge yourselves this week. Are you going to choose the kingdom and the leadership of your shepherd, or you're going to choose the leadership of the world, and act in a way that confirms your belief. Some of the people reasoned with themselves, and they saw that maybe John didn't give us a sign, but the things that he said sure did, uh, sure are lining up. What are some of the things he said? There's the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of this world. As they interacted with Jesus and saw the things that he was doing, they started to say, "You know what." I'm gonna bet. I'm gonna place my bet on this guy. And many believed in that day. Amen. Something to think about. I'm gonna invite the New City Kids to come back up for a time of prayer. And uh, while they're coming back up, why don't we just show them our appreciation for them to come out today and just say, "Hey, who loves the New City Kids? Come on, guys!" Amen. If you feel like you want to affirm that, we want to affirm you guys coming out here and leading us in worship and taking time out of your life to practice and to, uh, to be excellent. You are excellent. If you're part of the prayer team, why don't you come forward at this time as well. If anybody needs a word of prayer, we have this space over here uh, that people are going to be in. And feel free to come over there. Very friendly people. They're here because they love you and they want to intercede on your behalf for you. But um, just by way of response, I'd like to ask you to do something physical. And, um, and so what I have in my heart is to say, if you want to affirm that the Lord is your shepherd, if you want to affirm that you are dedicated to Jesus, the Messiah, then uh, make a public profession today by standing to your feet and raise up a hand. Father in heaven, we raise up our holy hand to you to say that you are our shepherd, you are our leader, and we are loyal to you. We are so proud of you. You are our champion. Help us. You are our gate. You are our shepherd. You are our God. We raise up our hand to also say to the enemy, you can come no further. To the the rulers and authorities, we say that the work of divisiveness that you have had in our lives ends here and ends now. You can come no further. For the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm an agent of redemption into this world. I am an ambassador for the reconciliation of Christ. And we are here to experience and to give life and life to the full.